today on Abounding Grace. You are not so deep in this sin in your life that you can't get out, that you can't come clean, that you can't make things right. Yes, there's probably going to be some consequences. That's what the Bible says. But you have to train yourself and determine to accept the consequences of obedience over the consequences of disobedience. Because the consequences of disobedience are far greater. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for. Maybe you've noticed in our culture today, sin is taken lightly and even applauded, and we're also not praying as we should. If these are areas you struggle in, today's Abounding Grace will serve to help. We're in 2 Samuel 21 with Pastor Ed Taylor. His message is titled, Lord, Be Merciful to Us. Chapter 21. As we continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, as we come to the last few chapters of 2 Samuel, we're given insight to a couple of national disasters. The first one was a drought that actually was caused by King Saul's sin. And then the next one in chapter 24 is a plague that was caused by King David's sin. And in between those chapters are four different victories And one of the things, if you read ahead, that might have tripped you up a bit is that it doesn't follow a chronology. Usually when we read through a a passage of Scripture or reading through a book of the Bible, there's a chronology to it. And much of 2 Samuel is chronologically in order, but now we're getting some insight at different times in the history of the nation of Israel, and the chronology is broken up a little bit. And here we go in verse 1 of chapter 21. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them, and now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites, and the children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore, David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And what, will, what shall I make atonement that I may, you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. And he said, Whatever you say, that will I do for you. Verse 5. So they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us, and plotted against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel. Let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. First of all, this is the only mention of this slaughter by King Saul. And by doing this, he actually broke the covenant that was made with the Gibeonites in Joshua's day, back in Joshua chapter 9. That's what this is all tying together. 
Remember back when the Israelites first entered the van, the Gibeonites tricked Joshua by coming with old, fake old garments and old moldy bread, and Joshua didn't wipe them out. He failed to discern the reality of their trickery and let them off. And they became servants to Israelites. They weren't destroyed. Forty years later now, the effects of that sin are felt in Israel. Because time doesn't lessen the effects of sin. Saul, he steps in and breaks the covenant. And time, even 40 years, does not lessen the effects of sin. One of the things we learn about God is that he is incredibly patient. After all, he gave the Canaanites 400 years to repent. Very patient with us. That has been. The Bible says in the New Testament that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But I have to warn you, and we together be warned, not to mistake the patience of God as the approval of God. Not to mistake the patience of God as the approval of God. Because a lot of people make that mistake. Over time, because something isn't judged right away, it's very easy to think you got away with it. It's very easy to think, well, you know, I would expect if I sow into the flesh, I'll reap corruption. And because I didn't immediately reap corruption, maybe that spiritual truth isn't true for me. And while we're experiencing the patience and the long-suffering of God, wanting us to come to our senses and wanting us to repent, well, we think... Well, we think it's not patience at all, but his powerlessness or his apathy toward us. He doesn't judge us quickly, so we think we got away with it. But the truth is, even though God doesn't always judge quickly, his judgment is thorough. And it's just and true. I notice in verse 1 that there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And then David inquired of the Lord. I thought that was interesting. It was the third year of the drought that David decided to cry out to the Lord. He waited three years before he finally inquired of the Lord. Don't you find that the same thing happens in your life? Where there is an urgency of a situation, but we don't pray immediately. There is the situation that's heavy upon us, but we don't immediately go to the Lord. And maybe we wait a year or two or three. You delay seeking the Lord for issues surrounding your life. Maybe it's just simply hopefulness. You're hoping it's going to pass. <laughs> you just hope it's going to pass. Oh, you know, it's just going to be a few days we'll go through this. Or just a few weeks. I can wait it out for a few months. And it could just simply be hopefulness. It's not necessarily negligence at all. You have a hope, you have a relationship with the Lord. You don't see the urgency of it, perhaps. Or you believe it's not as bad as it could be. Where it's bad, but it's not that bad. And you're not really praying without ceasing, but you would pray if it gets worse. And I remember Paul, when he was signing off his letter to the church in Thessalonica, what did he tell us to do? Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. God wants us to be people of prayer. That's his heart for us. He wants us to take seriously the call to prayer. He wants us to take seriously, even in our own fellowship as of late, where God is training us to pray. 
I recognize that as we break up into groups and you come into a larger gathering like this and you think, well, I'm just here for the worship. I want to sing and I want to study the Bible. And, and yet we've changed up things and we have communion available and that's new. Or we break up into groups and you're literally praying with people you never met before. But, but you're learning. You're learning that as, as you pray, you're learning how to pray. A lot of times people don't pray because they think they don't know how to pray. But the way to learn how to pray is to pray. And it doesn't matter how you sound. It doesn't matter if you have the right words. It really doesn't matter if you pray like the old King James Bible, Thou art God. Do it. By all means, pray and pray without ceasing. And I would just encourage you, don't wait three years to pray. Don't wait three weeks to pray. Don't wait three days to pray. Don't wait three hours to pray. But even if you do, pray. Let that be. Let, let the Bible studies on prayer not be so convicting anymore. Let, let those, we, we went around the table today as we we're entering in the new book of the month. You'll be getting it this weekend with a study guide if you go downstairs. Is, is a book on passionate prayer. And we're going through it as a staff. Uh, the church and the school both are going it a little bit different. But we had a large meeting today as the teachers are back. And, and we just went around the table, long, you know, large table in the downstairs. And, and I just asked the question, name a person of prayer. And so we went around and everybody had a name. Some people repeated people. And I said, no, you can't repeat it. Got to find somebody else. Somebody said mine. And I'm like, that's not fair. I was mine. And so we went around, we went around, and, and it was good because some people in the room were known as prayer, not all of us, but some people in the room were known as prayer. And then, and then it just ministered to my heart to say, okay, look, when we start asking around the church, name somebody, like if just you're walking in the hallway picking up your kids and somebody just springs on you, name a person of prayer. You should do it. Try it. Tell me how it goes. I would hope that, that your name would come up, that my name, that I would be known as a person of prayer. Now, I don't just talk about prayer and I just don't teach prayer, but like we pray. We intercede. We thank God. We confess our sins. We pray about the opposition in our lives. We pray about our hearts. We pray about our co-workers. We pray about our needs. We, we pray about our country. We, we are known as people of prayer. We're not known as sarcastic. And we're not known about talking the latest music. And we're not known about all of the things we know about sports. And we're not known by all these types of things. Of, but we're known as people of prayer, especially in these last days. So even if you wait for three years and pray, thank God you're praying. That you're really interceding and praying. That you're waking up early in the morning and praying. That the last thing you do before you go to bed at night is pray. That when a need's laid before you and an issue is brought up in front of you, that you stop and pray and seek the Lord in that moment. God wants us to be people of prayer without ceasing. Literally, God is calling us to be constantly in prayer. Not mindless repetition. Not praying to be seen by men. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? He said, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut your door, pray to your father who's in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There's a reward for prayer. There is a reward for prayer. How many rewards have we neglected because we've neglected prayer in our lives. There's a reward for prayer. I, I would say there's multiple rewards. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard by their many words. 
Be always praying for everything all of the time. One of the greatest things you and I can do in our lives is to cultivate a habit of prayer, of dialogue with God. One of the evenings in the next couple weeks, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to give you a little bit of instruction on how to pray through the Bible. Because remember, relationships grow by communication. And God communicates to us through his word, and we communicate back to him through his word. And it's a really beautiful thing. Praying through the scriptures and taking the Bible and turning the scriptures into prayer. Prayers of confession. Prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers of petition. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, that men ought always to pray. And here's one of the reasons why we don't pray. We lose heart. So how long should I pray? And you pray until you can't pray anymore. Even when things look dire. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Keep on asking. It's from the New Living Translation. And you'll be given what you ask for. Keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And the door is open to everyone who knocks. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, listen, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So David waited three years, but he did pray. And you'll notice in verse 1, when he prayed, God answered. What's going on here? And God said, this is what's going on. And began to lay out the consequences of a sin that was committed years earlier. Now, verse 7. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Mishal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up from Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Mahalothite, and he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on a hill before the Lord. So they fell, all seven together, and put to death in the days of the harvest, and the first days in the beginning of the barley harvest. In order to bring equity, seven of Saul's grandsons were given over to the Gibeonites, who in turn then hung them on a tree, with the exception of Mephibosheth. This is a reminder that in the difficult topic of, topic of sin in our lives, the Bible says that your sin will find you out. And be sure of that. It will catch up with you sooner or later. We get away with nothing, church. We get away with nothing. It, it's not... It's not God finding us out. You have to be real careful. It's not God finding us out. God knows. There's nothing new for him to find out in our lives. And it's not us finding out because we know. We're the ones that have been hiding it. I was thinking this week and meditating just on the, the horrible sin of Achan. Achan knew about his sin. He knew he took that garment. 
He knew as he was digging that hole. He knew as he put it in. He knew when he covered it. It wasn't Achan that had to find out about his sin. It's not God. But sin has a way of uncovering, a way of being revealed. And we never get away with anything, ever, never. It's an unavoidable spiritual truth. The final word in any sin-soaked story belongs to the Lord. It always does. As we've seen in previous chapters, specifically in the life of David, sin is always revealed. And I have to say, over the life of the few years, just a few small years that I've been serving the Lord, sin is always revealed in the person's life at the worst possible time. It never makes an appointment. It never gives a warning. Although God gives a warning, come clean, son. Come clean, daughter. Don't hide that. Walk in the light, First John says, as he is in the light. And we'll have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all sin, the Bible says. But when you and I choose to hide things, it'll be revealed, and it will be revealed at the absolute worst time. Sin, the Bible says, always brings forth death. It may take several days, but it will. It may take several weeks or even months and years, but Romans chapter 6 verse 23 is true. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I mentioned a scripture. I didn't quote it to you, but I want to show it to you. Turn over to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. Right now in the life of David and the kingdom, these seven grandsons are paying the price and consequences of sin previous. It's a very horrible thing. It's a very difficult thing to understand. Because one of the questions that comes up is, oh, wait a minute, why are these guys paying for the sin of something that happened years ago? Well, there's not a direct correlation. They're not, they're not taking the penalty of sin upon themselves but rather the consequences of, their, of sin in their family is caught up to them in a very horrible way. And you think, you know, that's not fair. No, it's not fair. Sin never is fair. It never gives you what you expected. And over and over again, you'll find that the consequences of sin will affect your family. You think it's just you, but it's not. It'll affect the people you love the people that are closest to you. Sin has a way of destroying people well, that are innocent of the particular sin that was committed by you or me. I mean, just as much as, just as, much as we don't take prayer very seriously, it's times when we don't take sin very seriously either. We just play with it like it's no big deal. We just pretend that God doesn't care. We, we neglect to remember. That's why communion is so special and so sweet because one of the reminders that comes when we take communion together is that Jesus Christ died on the cross an innocent, sinless death to deal with the sin in your life and mine. How can we, not, how can we bypass that when we have the bread in our hand and the cup that represents the flogging, the, the absolute full force beating on the back of Jesus with the cat of nine tails? How can we not in our own imagination think of his beaten, bloodied body the Bible describes as 
is being, not being able, his visage was so marred, his face was so messed up, or today's vernacular, he was so jacked up, you couldn't tell who he was unless you knew. You wouldn't be able to identify him. Hanging on a cross, forgiving those that were around him. I asked you to open to Numbers 32, because you have to, you have to see this in your own Bible. You have to highlight it on your own app, your Bible app. You have to pick a different color so you never forget this. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Numbers 32, verse 23. Because today I may be speaking to someone who thinks they have a secret sin that you haven't dealt with. It's a secret only to those that, well, if they found out about it, they would ask you to do something about it. That's why you're keeping it a secret. You might have broken the law, so you're keeping it a secret from the law because they're going to ask you to do something and to hold you accountable. You, you may have sent kids within your family and you're hiding it from your parents because you know your parents are going to tell you to do something. You may have sinned within your relationships and you're hiding it from them because you know that if somebody finds out about it, they're going to tell you to do something about it. You may even think it's no big deal. You may even think God doesn't care. And because man doesn't know, the people that should know don't know, you just continue to let it go. And listen, this is what the Bible says, Numbers 32, verse 23. But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and you might want to mark these, and be sure your sin will find you out. And you can just cross-reference that, because they have... Numbers 32, 23, you can cross-reference that with Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but there's always a way out. The gift of God is eternal life. There is a way out. You are not so deep in this sin in your life that you can't get out, that you can't come clean, that you can't make things right. Yes, there's probably going to be some consequences. That's what the Bible says. But you have to train yourself and determine to accept the consequences of obedience over the consequences of disobedience. Because the consequences of disobedience are far greater. That's one of the reasons why confession doesn't happen too, is because you're just so afraid what's going to happen. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if I tell the truth? What's going to happen? Well, the first thing that's going to happen is the forgiveness of God is going to flood your life. And the second thing is the shame and guilt that you were carrying around is going to be removed. And I don't know, really, what's next. I don't know how it's all going to play out. You, be, you may be met with people in your life that will be very merciful for you. you. You may get the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of man, and for that we rejoice. But sometimes when we, we find God cleaning our house, so, so to speak, and we're asking for forgiveness, we get the forgiveness of God, but not the forgiveness of man. And we just have to wait for the Lord to do a work in hearts. But we're in the light of the Lord, and that's the safest place to be on earth. The safest place and the most comfortable place and the most powerful place for you and I anywhere on this planet is to be found hidden in Jesus Christ, to have a clean life before him.
Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're airing a series based in 2 Samuel, and I'd imagine this is just what many of you are needing to hear right about now. If you'd like to request today's study on CD for $2, please call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. You can also access the studies online at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. Search for Calvary Aurora. And as you do, you might also download the Grace FM Colorado app for more biblical encouragement. Thanks for your generous gifts to support Abounding Grace. Your donation will serve to help us bring these daily studies to your station and many others like it every day. Call us at 877-30-GRACE or donate online at calvaryaurora.org. And when you support this ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'd like to send you The Holy Land Key by Ray Bentley. Pastor Ray has partnered with God's people in Israel and witnessed the fulfillment of prophecy firsthand. And you might say this book highlights the amazing work God is doing even right now to usher in the coming kingdom. Again, call 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org on the web. Glad you've taken time out for our study. We'll bring you more from Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 2 Samuel next time on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.